Welcome to Defenders TV Podcast, episode 79, where we're looking at Luke Cage, season 1, episode 5, just to get a rep. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back Defenders, it's Defenders TV Podcast episode 79 and once again for the third time in a row, almost like it's happening in a row, I am in control of the opening, this is Chris, you're one of your hosts and we're today in episode 79, we are looking at Luke Cage season 1 episode 5, just to get a rep. I'm one of your hosts John, hello, and I'm your final host Derek, I ain't going nowhere. Ah, good, because I have a question for both of you. Before we even kick off this podcast, Mm -hmm. just to get a rep, are we talking about, like, the reps on, like, weights here or reputation? You know, I'm not (laughs) quite sure. I think, like, if Luke Cage needs to build out some muscles, do you think he does, like, a just one single rep of, like, a washing machine? The man (laughs) does a lot of reps, I'm sure, but this is definitely, yeah, about reputation. It's once again connected to the Gangstar song, just to get a rep. So uh, I'll be talking about that in my normal little slot about the music later on but yes it is reputation yeah and and nothing to do with reps and sets no but the reputation is set by the end of this episode it is yeah (laughs) certainly is (laughs) definitely damn he looks good in a bloody suit although i did think it was slightly tight at one point i thought the tailoring was a bit off oh dapper dan does not do bad tailoring no not dapper dan no 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 it was a gorgeous suit but like, you could see in the barbershop when he buttoned up the suit jacket that he could only do one button. Yes. And not both. And then he had to undo it in case it, like, flew off because it was rubbing against his bulletproof skin. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I don't think that the measurements are wrong. I'm not I'm not sure whether you're supposed to button up two buttons or not. I never button up two buttons. I've never had I a two-button What I mean is it was a tight, it's tightly right. tailored suit, which was very crisp. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you have to have the, the body to hang it on. So Dapper Dan was spot on. Mm-hmm. Definitely. No, there's no criticism of Dapper Dan, I hasten to ask. And on that note, if you are joining us for the first time, welcome. And what the hell are you doing? We're five episodes in. Wow, you have loads more to listen to. But if you are joining us, welcome. This is a podcast where three friends come together, typically to defend, well, the Defenders, but the Defenders TV podcast, literally as it is. But Derek, can you tell the guys where else they can find us? If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can subscribe to us through our iTunes link over at DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. Or if you want to subscribe to us through your Android device, you can just subscribe to it uh, over on our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com or find us in any good or evil podcast catcher just by searching for Defenders TV Podcast. Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil. We should come up through any of those searches. Uh, please join us for all of our episodes. We've got five in the bag and another seven to go. Uh, really been enjoying it so far. 100%. Can't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fantastic. And if you want to send us any feedback, you can email us to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Or join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV Podcast. I think it's about time to get into the episode, boys. But before you do that, don't forget, guys, you can also go to our website, DefendersTVPodcast.com, and leave voicemail for us. 90 seconds of your thoughts and feedback directly into the ears of the other Defender Cast listeners out there. Mm-hmm. Good point, Chris. It's the one I always, I always forget to, to mention it the first time. No problem. Okay, guys, well, look, before we get into it, 
So after the events of episode four, Luke's here. So let's le- let the guys know who the writer was, who the director was, and John, give us a lovely synopsis, if you will. Absolutely. I'll give you the old uh, the details behind who was on the show. We have uh, Jason Horch as a writer for this episode. Uh, he worked with Shio Coker over on uh, Southland um, and with Ben McKenzie from Gotham. John, so we have a little Gotham crossover. Wow, yeah, there. a little crossover. Yeah. Uh, and the episode was directed by Mark Jobst. Uh, and we, as the Defenders, will know Mark Jobst from the episode he directed of Daredevil Season 2, one of my favourite episodes of Season 2, New York's Finest, the episode with Frank and uh, and Daredevil on the rooftop of uh, of New York's Hell's Kitchen, uh, having, oh. their, having their discussion. Yeah, that awesome episode, which also included the uh, battle sequence through the hallway and down the stairs. Awesome yeah. moment. A big scene with the meetup of Claire Temple and of Foggy Nelson at, uh, at the hospital where there's a gang, gang members who are battling against each other. Yeah, you remember that episode? Mm. Um, yeah, so lots and lots of dealings. And he got to deal with Claire Temple before. So, uh, so that's quite cool. He has that little connection over there in the, in the Daredevil world. That's actually really interesting because knowing that that was one of our probably favorite episodes of season two of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, especially some of the more dramatic monologues back and forth. And now that, now actually, I didn't know that before, but now seeing that, then there's, it plays quite good homage to this episode as well in terms of the style of the shot and the, 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 the pans in terms of a certain scene in the, uh, church. But we'll yes. talk about that later. Yes, we shall. Mm. Yeah. John, do you want to give us a synopsis? Sure. Claire Temple arrives in Harlem to visit her mother, Soledad Temple. Confiding in her mother about saving a bulletproof man in Hell's Kitchen, she explains her growing need to help the heroes that walk the streets of New York. Just as she glimpses on TV the incredible sight of an unscathed Luke Cage emerging from a collapsed building. However, not everyone is pleased to see Luke Cage alive, and a shocked Cornell Stokes, aka Cottonmouth, hits back at Luke, extorting the citizens of Harlem to cover his debts and to recover the money stolen by Cage. As the heat rises in Harlem, Shades recognises Cage from Seagate Prison and warns Stokes of the damage to his reputation, offering Stokes ways and means to deal with Cage. But as Stokes becomes more obsessed with Luke Cage, the inevitable clash takes place, first on the streets of Harlem, then in Cottonmouth's club, Harlem's Paradise, and finally during Pop's memorial, where Cage delivers a eulogy that humiliates Stokes in front of the people of Harlem. War has been declared. Thank you very much, John. For any of our new listeners, again, what the hell? Go back, listen to more. But <laughs> if you want to just jump in on this episode, the way that we cover uh, our show, each show every time, is that we each take five points, be it good, bad, and different, things that we thought were funny, etc. And then we kind of go around. Typically, we usually kind of share some points because that's unfortunately the, sometimes the way it works out. But you'll always get a good in-depth discussion. After that... We'll either ask each other whether we defend this episode or not. Guys, I'm going to bogart the very first point on this. Because I'm in control. Radical. Now, we talked about this in one of our previous episodes. I brought it up as one of my points in that how would a street-level gang enforcer destroy an unbreakable man? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of answered in this episode. Yes, AKA it was. the Judas Bullet. <laughs> and we've got our uh, AKA back. Yes, I always bring in AKA. I love yeah. Jessica Jones That's that Two much. AKAs. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's AK 47 with an AKA. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is what I wanted to talk about. Like, so, 
We, we found out in this episode that there is a thing called the Judas Bullet. They were made as part of metal fragments or melted from metal fragments of the incident. So we can assume there's some form of probably shatari metal mm-hmm. in there. And we see a demonstration of a man getting shot with a bulletproof vest. And then there's a zzz kind of drilling sound. And then there's a lot of red on the screen. Yes, there is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very awesome. So that infers, I think, that this is how they plan to tackle the Unbreakable Man, which mm-hmm. is interesting. It is, isn't it? I was watching it thinking, why does Cottonmouth need a bulletproof yeah. vest? You know, why would he want one? Because the cage doesn't carry guns. There's no point in him getting a bulletproof vest. And then, then the guy exploded. And I went, yeah. oh, that makes more sense. And of course, it looks like a home movie as well. So I just thought it was like kind of two rednecks or something mm-hmm. like that, like sh- deciding, hey, I'm going to shoot your brother or something like that. <laughs> and, yeah, and I thought there's going to be like some horrendous accident. So yeah, it, it was really kind of um, a bit of a surprise when like the entire left side of his body just like blew away from the rest <laughs> of it. Um, yeah. And the cameraman fell over as well. So we, we can assume the cameraman also exploded. Oh, really? Can we? I don't know. Or shockwave? Did he shock? Did he, did he, was he just shocked and dropped the camera, perhaps? You just didn't see him running towards the body of the guy he shot, that's why I was a bit. No, it was more like the camera, and then they go, oh, I wasn't expecting that! (laughs) (laughs) I thought the bulletproof vest would work. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit interesting in this, so we know that each bullet costs a fair amount of, at least seven figures, I think, because. Easy. Cottonmouth went per bullet? Question yeah. mark? Uh-huh. Exclamation point? That was a nice little scene, actually, where he just slides across yeah. the, the piece of paper with the actual figure, and yeah. it's like, whoa. I was kind of, I was kind of hoping like it, was, it wasn't actually a number. It was just like, like shades going, your mama. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna your cost house. you your uh, mama and yeah. the house yeah. and the forty and your firstborn. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's pretty likely. Well, remember how it, it was. It was Harlem. The cost of it was Harlem. Oh yeah. If he didn't get the money, yeah, like, that's true. That is true. A lot of money. Yeah. And Diamondback's not going to front him for it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like I suppose, how rare is uh, Shatari uh, weaponry, or how how rare is the metal that was that was used to create it? So, are they able to replicate more? You know, mm. you can understand this is absolutely a precious material that's fallen out of the sky or attacked out of the sky, I suppose, during the incident. So, uh, how much more is going to arrive if the Avengers are around? Exactly. Yeah. In fact, it's really, really rare. <laughs> I have no idea what that was. It's Bugs oh. Bunny. Oh, now I get it. <laughs> you have to kind of drag us along. It's okay, John. Oh my goodness, nobody gets my jokes, as you will find, <laughs> listeners. Um, and certainly if you're new to it, no one gets my jokes. <laughs> it's okay. Someday we will. Someday. But I, I did like how they described it. You know, it's, if you wanted to shoot God, that's that's what you'd use. You know, this is the bullet that you'd use. Wasn't that the description? Yeah. 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 These are the gods on Earth. So the, the Defenders and the Avengers are the gods on Earth. They are the Ooh. people that are, you know, that uh, that can't be can't be killed by human weaponry. So they've now found something. That's a really good DC reference, by the way. Well, I know, you liked that. I liked yeah, it. I did that. That's what I was <laughs> Even though this is a Marvel podcast. <laughs> hey, just saying. No, love, there, is no there is no discord between Marvel and DC here. We love all. Exactly. 
We are a broad church. Exactly. We are a broad church. We welcome all. We even image comics. If you like image yeah. comics, so do we. Don't worry. We're a very broad church, mm-hmm. and we will shoot any god with one of these <laughs> with a Judas bullet. <laughs> but I thought I thought that was a David Tennant reference. Oh. Anyway. Oh well, yeah, maybe not. Back to you, Chris. Now this does put a lot of hampering on my theory that we were going to get a second powered individual. Mm. Because my whole theory was, how can you kill a man with unbreakable skin? And this seems like the way that they're going to try and kill the man with a breakable skin. And it's not going to be another superpowered individual. Now, we could be mm-hmm. still completely off. Diamondback has yet to be introduced. He True. could be powered. They still could bring in a, a random powered individual. Like, potentially, we saw a very offshoot in one of the episodes of Daredevil Season 1 of uh, Bullseye. They still could do something like mm. that. But I think now it's going to be more like their Luke Cage is our powered man. He is our power man for this whole season. Yeah, but I was wondering, is the test representative? The science head on me is going, you know, are they comparing like for like? I know it's Kevlar, but does that replicate Luke Cage's skin? Like, could... You know, I mean, I think what the the Marvel Encyclopedia says it's three times the the the, the hardness of like steel or, or mm. whatever. So like, you know, or whatever it is, it's he is unbreakable. He's got a really tough skin. So is it as tough as Kevlar, mm. or is it more tough? So the, the 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 sciencey thing in me was like. Okay, is this test, is this experiment representative? Right. It may be, it may not be. So he could still survive. I mean, he survived the RPG pretty well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, th- there's one other test that they, they know an RPG can't kill him. So now they have to see whether the, the Judas will do, mm-hmm. which is probably a higher bet given it costs, you know, an entire section of New York or, you know, <laughs> the city. Yeah. So there's that. But then I also wondered whether the reason why Diamondback was being so cagey about um, fronting for Cottonmouth. I see what you did there, by the way. Very good. Cagey. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Is, Is it also a threat to him? And that's why he's controlling it so tightly. And like, if he does want them, well, then Cottonmouth has to lose everything. Interesting. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I wondered oh, whether that yeah. was the kind of the case that, you know, up till now, Diamondback is more than happy to do it. Now, okay, obviously they cost a lot, so I can understand it from that point of view as well. But just from a purely, like, super superhero kind of bubble, I just wondered whether they're also a threat to him. That they yeah, can yeah. actually take him out. That it, it's it's his silver bu- bullet as much as uh, Luke Cage's. Uh, judging by that video, it's everybody's silver bullet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They can take out everybody. But yeah, I like the I like well, a you... normal bullet's my silver bullet. That's true, very true. Uh, I like what you pointed out there earlier on, Chris. That it is it does kind of drill in through the um, through the bulletproof uh, coat that the guy's wearing in the video, so it doesn't just stop dead and explode, um, which would be where it would drop off on on Luke Cage. It would bounce off him, you know. In this case, it, it sounds like at least that it, try, it, it almost drills into the body after after attaching itself almost mm. to uh, to to the body. So that's probably why it's work why it's going to work on Luke uh, if used against him. I suppose Shades does say um, there is a cost involved in the bullet, and if you don't pay it and want Diamondback to pay for it for you, that the cost of that is Harlem, doesn't he? So there is a yeah. there is a, a monetary cost as well, 
which, because of the events of episode uh, three and four, uh, Cottonmouth can no longer pay because he's lost <laughs> a lot of money. Seven figures mm-hmm. by seven. Yeah. Uh, seven figures by seven is what he says. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot. That's, that's a lot. That's seven million. Yeah. Or more. Or more. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Actually, well, what could it theoretically could be? For- it could 49 be... million, possibly. <laughs> See, Hang on a second, he's... that doesn't sound right. 63 no. million sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah. See, guys, we're comic nerds, not maths nerds, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a maths nerd. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. But okay, so this so this has completely upset my theory. And I, while I'm still hoping that John is right, that maybe Judas is, the Judas bullet is Diamondback's kryptonite to be called to close, mm-hmm. I now get the feeling that Unless something dramatically changes, we are only seeing one powered individual. And actually, I'm okay with that. I, I got a direct message today that speaks to this. Chris, over on Twitter, specifically okay. for you from our listener, Doug Green, uh, who was listening to our uh, second episode of the podcast, where you called out about Shades possibly being a superhuman okay. character. Without any spoilers at all, just simply he said, can you tell Chris that Shades is a BAMF? And I'm going to employ our uh, our square jar for a second. Okay. It's a bad ass. Okay, so he may be powered. There are no spoilers there. No, there may no spoilers. But he, but what that... he does want to say that you are on the right track to look at shades, I guess. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm doing a happy dance for this. But there but is no spoilers there that he may he may not be powered. May maybe still just a badass. He gave Luke a beatdown when Luke was powered, unpowered. So, like, if Luke loses his power for some reason. Mm-hmm. Shades can beat him down. True. And on that note, yes. Given that we talked about the Judas bullet, I kind of really want to shout out. I loved Shades in this episode mm-hmm. and his counsel that he gave with Cottonmouth. Um, you know, where he just gives that dose of reality to Cottonmouth. You know, you're making mistakes going after Cage and all this, and if you do this. Uh, and ask for the Judas Bullet Diamondback. He will want something from you, and he's mm-hmm. going to ask you for for Harlem. Uh, and otherwise, it costs this much. It was pure non-negotiable. And I think the great thing about this was that it's really showing up. Like Cottonmouth is the big bat, but he he he's also a liability. He he can't handle his status. He's um he's too much about the club and the money. And now that's gone and he's absolutely floundering around and Shades comes in and just gives this really fantastic piece of reality to Cottonmouth. And I just really like that in, in this episode with everything going on. Cottonmouth is trying to step up to what Luke Cage is doing uh, and each time he's been made to look a fool. Um, he, he's been undermined. Uh, Shades lays it bare for him. And I, I really enjoyed that in this episode because I think Cottonmouth is a flawed villain uh, in terms of he can't handle the power uh, that he ultimately has uh, and the extra and additional and the more power that he wants. He just wouldn't be able to handle it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love there's a great moment uh, early on in the episode where uh, maybe somebody else is going to talk about the actual incident itself. But uh, the first time you see Shades in the episode where Cottonmouth, he walks up to Cottonmouth and Cottonmouth goes, I don't even know why you're here. And Shades just stares him down and says, you know exactly why I'm here. Um, you know, I like that they're explaining why the right-hand man of uh, of the, I guess, the kingpin of Harlem, as we think he is, which is uh, Diamondback, um, why he's 
constantly coming up and giving advice to Cottonmouth. Um, I like that they keep explaining it. I like that there's a great bit of power from, from Shades who, you know, side by side to Cottonmouth, you probably wouldn't be scared of Shades. Um, but he, the intensity coming from Theo Rossi, you can see why, uh, the counsel that's being given to him is being taken on board by Cottonmouth, definitely. Completely. It actually, and guys, this was one of my points as well. Like in this episode, we see Cottonmouth pretty spiraling pretty quickly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big time. This episode from a Cottonmouth baddie perspective was paving the way for Diamondback to show up and set things right. As a big bad, Cornell Stokes seems to be pretty ineffective, especially as the episodes have gone on. Now, don't get me wrong. He's an amazing, compelling character. He's really interesting. And I love the, 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 his reasoning, his rationale, the, the piece and section about the nightclub, why he's not giving it up. And it all ties beautifully together, tying him to the community. Yeah. But beyond that, especially the first, he's lost his, I want to say je ne sais quoi, but like, that's like probably a really bad way of explaining it. <laughs> he's just, he, the, the, the spiraling ineptitude almost is kind of, it's it's weird. And then that leads to that kind of relationship with Shades becoming more interesting with the power shifting. Yeah. I don't know. The bit that kind of only potentially could save this is that this is a man down on his luck. And, you know, like when you've nothing to lose, you'll do anything to win. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of uh, adage. Absolutely. Like, that's kind of where I'm hoping they can turn the character around. And maybe it's Geo Coker's idea that he strips... Like Luke Cage has been stripped of all of his rationale, his humanity, inter- his ties to humanity, I should say. Yes. But now it's being replaced with Harlem. Whereas you have Cottonmouth now, his kingdom is being torn away from him. Absolutely. So he is going to go with the, the, he's going to go all out to get it back. And that all out in this case probably is the Judas Bullet or selling Harlem to Diamondback, etc. So they have two options. For me, they need to do two, one of two things. One, which is, make Cottonmouth go, like, foaming at the mouth mad, mm-hmm. and then he goes on a vengeance trip, or Cottonmouth steps to the side and Diamondback and Shades become the big bad for the second half of the season. Right. Yeah, I, I can see that. That's an entirely a possibility. Um, like this kind of leads into my first point about the, uh, about the actual song that was chosen for the episode, the name of the episode. Um, so name of the episode is just to get a rep. Uh, as we've mentioned every episode so far, each of these titles are taken from gangstar songs. Just pulled out the lyrics for this one and so many things are standing out from the lyrics of this song as to why it was chosen for this episode. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. It's almost as if the writer of the show took little scenes from the actual, uh, from the actual lyrics of the song, you know. It's specifically talking about people looking at the people around them and the type of, uh, the type of gold chains that they're wearing, the, uh, the type of uh, jewelry that they're wearing and looking at it and looking at a way of stealing it off them and then walking into the neighborhood again, wearing that, wearing those pieces of jewelry, showing that they have the reputation, showing that they have the rep and that they are not people to be messed with. That is absolutely what Cottonmouth's doing at a big level, saying, sending people out, taking all their stuff off the people of Harlem and saying it's Luke Cage's fault so that he has his reputation restored. The people themselves, his guys that are stealing the stuff. You see the guy that steals the Major League Baseball ring. You see him wearing it and showing it off to other people. You know, all the way through the Les Paul guitar that's stolen, that's sitting back in one of the guy's houses. You know, it's not being returned to Cornell Stokes. He's not asking for all of that stuff. He's asking for money. All Everybody around is trying to build up their reputation in the area of Harlem. So this song is absolutely perfect. There's even a point in the song where they mention uh, somebody with a 
with uh, black deck windows on their Jeep. There is a truck with black deck windows, the one that's uh, the one that Luke Cage grabs the two guys and throws them up against the windows of. Uh, that's even in the episode, and I'm I'm so conscious now after after hearing the lyrics of the song, how much is taken out of of the song for this episode. Once again, another great choice. Yeah, and that's really cool actually that that he's he's working in the lyrics of these songs as well into how aspects of the the episodes play out. I mean that that's really. A nice touch, I think. Mm-hmm. No, that and that's really interesting. I have to have to admit, my personal music taste, kind of up until a lot of this point, has been very eclectic, but hasn't featured that much gangster rap. Probably that kind of style, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more and more I've kind of started getting this, getting into this kind of at uh, the series, and starting looking more and more in terms of how they linked it so dramatically to the music. Yeah. I've just started listening to the, that Spotify playlist. I'm now listening to one of the artists, Chidana, from this episode. Um, it's just, it, it more and more it's getting this, the R&B. It just, the, the, I have to admit, this is probably one of the m- most special kind of linkages I've seen by a Marvel show or, to be fair, any other show outside of, like, Empire or uh, Atlanta or Childish Gambino's new uh, TV show that launched in America recently where he is an up-and-coming rapper. This is one where I've seen, actually, it's not about the music, but the mm-hmm. music is so influential. It's really, really interesting. Absolutely, yeah. You can you can totally tell that, that Chio Coco comes from a music background. The other kind of part of my point about, the, about music in the episode is just that opening with Jadana on stage at... Cottonmouth's Club. It's such a different kind of opening for a TV show. Um, it's a live performance from him uh, singing his heart out. It's almost like Cottonmouth is choosing the bands that are going to play in Harlan's Paradise. He mentions later on about uh, he wants to make... There's no club like this. There's no black man as, who's ever done something like he's doing for his neighbourhood, or in any neighbourhood really. He wants to get to that level of it being a location that everybody will come to. So he's watching these people perform and making sure they're singing songs that he is interested in in hearing for his audience. So the song that's being sung, I think it's such a great choice. It's uh it's Long Live the Chief. Um so I love that the whole episode starts out with Jadana singing the song to Cottonmouth about being the boss, being the big guy. And Cottonmouth is super impressed by this song, which he feels is about himself, obviously, because yeah. it's Cottonmouth. Then it cuts to Rosaria Dawson being mugged. She's also the chief of her own destiny. She walks back into her hometown, gets mugged, goes down and beats the hell out of the guy. Yeah. That was so oh, yeah, brilliant. she does. So awesome. Brilliant. And then you've got Luke, who's also his own chief of his community. He's cleaning away the rubble of uh, of Genghis Khanis, um, which nobody else was doing. So I love the juxtaposition of those three characters at the beginning to this song talking about long live the chief. Who's the real chief here? Is it Cottonmouth because he owns the club? Is it someone like uh, like Claire Temple, who's not willing to let people pull one over on her? Or is it Luke Cage, who's helping out his community with the superpowers he's been given? Love that. Really, really cool. Absolutely. And if I can just bring in uh, my next point on this, because it links to the music, but also to a book watch mm-hmm. as well, um, is that we have the scene where Coco... R.I.P. Coco, mm-hmm. bullet to the head, um, holds up the book and talks about the benign neglect and the, and this book about the politics and the social conditions that created hip hop. And from what I can tell after some research, that 
looked as though it was Can't Stop, Won't Stop by Jeff Chang. Okay. A history of the hip-hop generation. Judging by the book, because it, it's got pink and kind of a yellowy colour on it, and it's quite distinctive. Very cool. We will be coming out of this show with so much new music and so many new books to read no, after we finish doing all of our podcasts. Absolutely. It's really, really great. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, but I, I love how, you know, Coco's up there talking about this and the benign neglect. He just kind of mentions to Cottonmouth, look, just let Luke Cage have his side of the street, you know, mm-hmm. let him sort of be the king of his castle and you be your king of your castle and your side of the street. And what does he get for it? Bullet okay. to the head. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, a little book watch here. Um, RIP Coco. That was such a surprise to me. Oh, yeah. I, was not, I was not expecting the gun from under the table <laughs> and a bullet through the head. It just doesn't feel like a Marvel show to have something like that happen, I suppose. Um, but fantastic. Such a great moment for Cottonmouth and such a, such a, a shock you back into the moment. Um, really cool. I was chill, chilling out for the music, laughing along with, you know, the idea that, that Luke Cage, the hero, has stolen all this money from, from Cottonmouth. He's now, in poverty, basically, with only his $250,000 that he has available to hand. Poverty, I tell you. Poverty. No, it's, it, them be the days, you know? <laughs> I, I remember when I was roughing it with just two and a half G's sitting at my table. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, bullet to the head, uh, when someone suggests, maybe we should just leave that, that guy with superpowers alone and he'll leave us alone. Was he right, though? Was Coco right? Would this, would that have been an option? Because I don't think so. No. Nope. I have to admit, I I, I love this scene. Because like, it was just, it was so just opposed between, you've literally gone from great music and then into this kind of business meeting scene. And I was like, okay, he makes it, he's making some like rational, logical, interesting debate. And I was expecting Cottonmouth to do the more, this mass city kind of like, kind of like, he, how dare he do this to me? But mm-hmm. then just that whipping out of the pistol, I was just like, Oh, this is gonna get. Go- I was expecting him kind of like very much a, a Scarface situation where he takes yeah. out two and then just goes, "How dare you all!" Kills them all. <laughs> Kills them all. Kind of. Cottonmouth was so pissed in this episode. Mm-hmm. Really was. Yeah, it was just, and it's a actually it's a really interesting theory when you come to think of it. But then, as you said, Derek, do we think Luke Cage would do this? Mm-hmm. No, no, not in a million years. Not at all. Not at all. He wants he wants Cottonmouth out of Harlem and to stop messing with them. As he I says. know that this so, is his yeah. this is his William Shatner moment. It's like calm because of what's happened. <laughs> I mean, like it doesn't matter. It really is. Right. But I I think I butted in there, Chris. I think I stepped in front of you. Um, so what's your next point? No problem. No problem at all. Because I think I'm going to talk about something we all want to talk about. Claire's back. Yes, yes, she mm-hmm. is. It's Claire. Yeah. Rosario Dawson's Claire Temple finally made her entrance. I, I was expecting this, like, once I didn't see her in the last episode, I didn't want to say anything, because I was like, maybe she's like one of these flash-in-the-pan kind of, we, we just knew she would be in, like, just from, like, episode eight to, like, the last five episodes. Right. right. Uh, but no, she's here. The funny thing actually was, and I wanted to bring this up, I think we've brought it up a few times in our previous podcast, but I wanted to kind of share for anyone who's just joining us for Good Cage. Uh-huh. Claire's character actually started in the comics as a supporting character for Good Cage. That's right. So yes. she started in Hero for Hire number two, and I believe someone may need to correct me on that, but if it is, if it was, 
Luke Cage, Hero Fire number two. It was 1972-ish. Um, so she started there. And it's great to see her now back in this Harlem setting where her character originated. I'm really interested to see how they're going to bring her coming together with Luke in this. Because she had that lovely speech where she, what do I want to do? I need to do what I need to do. Telling her mother about the experience at the hospital. Yeah. And she, her going, I've saved a blind man who can see better than other people. Because of his senses, I saved a man who took a shotgun to the head and healed in a few hours. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they are full on bringing her towards this character of Night yeah. Nurse. Like, this is our MCU Night Nurse 100. Now, that's not saying it's going to be the only Night Nurse, because mm-hmm. we may see other. But the, as far as I can see, they are bringing her towards this character, which is fantastic. And um, being on Twitter and Facebook, I've seen some people kind of give out about this this huge unnecessary exposition of who she is and why she's there okay but i'm kind of kicking back on that and i i'm always open to kind of debate with people Mm -hmm. but i I saw this it was actually outside of our group and it was just this kind of back and forth and i was like no she's there because and they're doing this exposition because people may have not actually watched jessica jones they may have not watched daredevil you need to introduce this character this could be someone's gateway entrance to the mcu they'll go back and watch daredevil go back and watch jessica jones but if you don't introduce her she then just becomes a bit part character yeah Yeah. absolutely and i mean it's done in a way where you know she's coming back and she's mentioning all this stuff to her mom so i mean it's done in a really like kind of regular way which makes sense so yeah i mean like i know look we all need a little reminding from time to time as well. So, I mean, yeah, it, like, this, this was a nice little way of introducing it. And, I mean, that opening scene where, you know, she gets mugged and then, you know, lo and behold, you know, did this mugger ever think that he was going to get um, <laughs> effectively, you know, foot to the kahunas and so on, which they really do show. Yeah. Yes, they do. Um, I feel know, bad the, for that stuntman. Yeah, I, that was a, I think that was a real kick that they, like, should have been held and they just left it in going, it looks too real, boys. Everyone's going to cover themselves after that one. As the sweet sound of justice, of cracking <laughs> walnuts, uh, floats across Harlem uh, as uh, Claire Temple gets her revenge on this mugger. Mm-hmm. Like, fantastic little opening. I yeah. loved it. Oh, absolutely. Great to see Claire back. Uh, one of the other things, just uh, I think we talked about it on episode four, uh, as to where Luke Cage took place in comparison to Daredevil and Jessica Jones. And we, we knew it was going to be, we knew it was after the end of season one, but this confirms it's after the end of pretty much of, of season two of Daredevil as well. So uh, Claire confirms that she was in the hospital. They hand attacked uh, the death of one of her compatriots. She lost her job because she wouldn't uh, she wouldn't go along with the board. Um, so all of that happened towards the end of Daredevil season two. So uh, so now we know this yep. is this is all tying up much later in time. So quite a significant amount of time since uh, Jessica Jones happened and Daredevil season one happened. So thought that was quite a nice little touch there as well. No, and I actually think they did this really well. They did a better job here picking up her story in the aftermath of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Then I think in Jessica Jones or any of that kind of where they've introduced her as a character. Right. You can see when she's discussing that topic of the hospital attack, it's left a deep impact on her. 
like I, again this could be me yeah. reading into it a kind of like kind of overboarding on the kind of how much I love sometimes geeking on these shows <laughs> the actress Rosario Dawson as she plays this character when she did that kind of like she puts her hand in her head and you can see that she's like I've lost everything because these dead men who came back to life and ingested mm-hmm. ninjas have destroyed my life and my hospital and now I'm crawling back to my mother's cafe in Harlem. I just, I think it was a great portrayal again. Again, showing another strong lead of a female within the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that potentially sometimes in the movies, uh, they yeah. uh, within the MCU movies that they do say sometimes the, the female characters in there are not as strong. Uh, I always disagree because Scarlett Johansson's Natasha Romanoff is potentially the scariest woman ever made <laughs> in the MCU. She is awesome. I think I think a lot of that criticism comes from all of the conversations after an Avengers movie seem to be about when's the Hulk getting his own movie. And she is just as badass and has been in every film since Iron Man 2, yet her, her solo film hasn't come along yet. No. Don't understand why. And... The amount of time she's been left out of merchandising has always been a problem. Yes. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of weird, but yes, we're getting some great, strong feminine heroes, heroines, I guess. Um, Claire Temple has been fantastic right the way through from, from Daredevil season one, just as a, a you know, at the eyes of the street on these heroes. I like that her choice here that she tells her mom, her choice for her future career is, well, I want to help those, those superheroes that help other people. I don't know how you apply for that. I don't know if there's a, link, a LinkedIn group for that, do you think? I, I'd I'm say sure. so. Heroes no, for Hire. I'm sure. I'm sure Heroes for Hire, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> we, we'll get you a job as a hero <laughs> in 24 days or less. Uh-huh. Just to close out on this one, I'll, I'll kind of throw it back to you guys if you have anything else. It's just, it's going to be a slow burn between her and Luke because what I the question I have now is, we are literally getting the Luke square, not a Luke love triangle, a love square, where we're going to have Jessica far off in the opposite corner. Mm-hmm. You have Claire on one side and you have uh, Misty Knight on the other. And I'm like, are we going to get a love triangle with a, a small corner for Jessica in the later future? Is this where potentially this tryst is going to happen? It could be an interesting fun. I don't know what they're going to do, but I think a relationship may have been hinted at in some of the, the, the previous storytelling and trailers, right. etc. If not, a really good friendship. I'm interested to see where they take it. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, at the moment, if Misty Knight is in that triangle, it's going to be angry sex. Ooh. Because, <laughs> um, like, she really is not feeling Luke Cage. It's kind of one of my points, so I, I might as well say it now. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure, yeah I'll yeah. do it now. Yep. Like... I love her antagonism towards Luke Cage. I think it's really kind of special um, and quite unique because she's one of the good guys as well, yet she absolutely distrusts and is suspicious of Luke Cage. Even after the the memorial service to Pop, she's like going, what you did in there? is like reckless it, it, it it's wrong and mm-hmm. you're gonna destroy harlem you might think you're saving it she's still she's not giving him an inch at all and no slack has been cut for him and i i'm loving that i love the fact that she is this kind of sort of against Luke Cage? Yeah. Um. Even to the point where she says, "Don't go to Pop's funeral." I mean, he's the he he's the guy's in law. You know, he's his son in law for mm-hmm. goodness' sake. Like it was really harsh. 
Yeah, that was so off. Like, that made me go, oh, really? Yeah. That was just, like, that was a comment that you would kind of, like, she either she'll apologize for it later, or it was kind of like, well, you're just way out of line now. But his diss back to her after the conversation at the end of the episode, which was, I'm sorry that, you know, I'm sorry our relationship didn't work out the way you wanted it to because of the way you're working. Bye now. I'm back into Pop's Barbershop. That was such a diss to Misty Knight as if all the stuff that she's been saying to him is because he won't sleep with her again, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and see you later, love. Which, I'm off back Which to, probably back to makes the her even more so angry. More. Like, I mean, I love the fact that your ass might be bulletproof, but Harlem isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, Harlem isn't bulletproof, isn't unbreakable, and you just declared World War Three in there. Just just the way she is against him is fine. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like the stormtrooper effect in like Star Wars, where you know the Death Star blows up and it's all woohoo for for the Rebel Alliance. Yet you know there's people's fathers and, and daughters <laughs> and all that kind of thing. And that being the average detective or, or copper on the beat trying to deal with the fallout from the incident or mm-hmm. or from any of these other types of things that are going on you know and we've, we've said this in daredevil we've said this in jessica jones to some extent where it's like they're having to deal with this fallout and that obviously just gets their back up and makes them resentful of these people who walk around and go sure i can do this because i've got unbreakable skin and mm-hmm. it's like you understand where it comes from yeah absolutely, absolutely. and it's such it's one of the great things about these you know, these Marvel Netflix shows is that it brings it down to the street level. It brings it down to the reality that the MCU can't on, you know, a two hour movie and so on. And I love this interaction that here we have one of the good guys, Misty Knight, being absolutely properly awful to one of the other good guys, yeah. Luke Cage. Yeah. And you can, you can, get both their, their sides really good. Absolutely. But there is that kind of odd moment when she finds the photograph of Reva in the rubble of uh, of Genghis Khanis and looks at it and goes, who the heck is this woman to Luke Cage, basically? Uh, who's she? Who, why is she important to you? And it almost is like, why did you sleep with me when you had the photograph of this woman in your apartment? It's like as if she doesn't understand this must be someone really important in Luke's life. No, I think she does understand that it, she is that actually he could have been cheating maybe yeah maybe um, that's it that oh. she thinks like it could be along those lines that's why she's angry it's just another layer of her anger and that's why if there's going to be a love triangle here misty represents the angry i hate you sex going on <laughs> or, or or you know the the possible makeup sex after an absolute also, massive shindig of an argument. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. That that sounds like Misty Knight to me. Yeah, Derek, do you want to give us your next point? Just a quick one for me, and not really treated like a huge moment in the episode, but it kind of was. Luke Cage is lifting up pieces of Genghis Khanis over his head and clearing up an entire area on his own. Uh, I like that there's a little touch of either the tourists or some of the locals with their phone, their camera phones out, taking photographs of this superhero, showing off his abilities in the street. Not hidden, not wearing a mask, not wearing a, a costume. He is standing out in the middle of the street showing off his superpowers. Big time. Um, that, that got, didn't seem to get any kind of, um, any kind of play on it. There wasn't like spinning newspapers going, man, uh, clears up building with his, with his own hands, you know, the kind of stuff you would see in most movies. Uh, but he's standing out in the middle of the street going, I'm Luke Cage. I'm a super superhuman. 
you know? Yeah, no, I have to agree with you on this. This got me a bit annoyed until I thought a bit more about it. In that, okay, this has probably happened in the guts of about three to four days. Mm-hmm. The whole show so far. Yeah. So, news is not spreading that fast. It's on the TV, but that video that was probably only well, that happened where he was lifting what happened on the same day as Pops' funeral of this episode. So the Facebook virality of man lifts building overhead probably is only going to hit the next day and the next right. day. And it's right. that, that building of he is the man of the people. What got me in thinking about this was additionally was, so we've seen that camera bit there. There was a very quick flash where he's holding um, one of uh, Cottonmouth's cronies up by the neck at the end to get the MLB ring back. Yep. And that flashes to someone filming it as well mm-hmm. on a phone. And so these are all going to add up. So he is now in the public. He's the public-facing yeah. hero. Mm-hmm. Compare this completely to the rest of the, the, the team, to the rest of the soon-to-be defenders. Jessica's a private eye, but she stays and she doesn't like getting her number out. She doesn't seek kind of fame. Yeah. Um, Daredevil is a man of the shadows. Yeah. A shadow himself. Luke is now going to become that man-wearing suit, friendly face of... The defenders, like Danny Rand, I'm assuming probably won't be known as Danny Rand the Iron Fist as a hero. He'll probably be vigilante esque kind of man in mask mm-hmm. to some degree. The only thing is, like, so to Harlem, Luke is going to be, I'm here to protect you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be that hero that Harlem deserves. Or, I'm Luke Cage, <laughs> I am Paramount. As we as oh, we said yes. in an earlier episode, he's standing out there with no mask, no costume at all. He's like the Iron Man of the Defenders, basically. Yeah, we can all hope. Hundred percent. But I think this is what's going to be different about him. It's almost like with the fall of Cottonmouth, we're going to see the rise of Power Man of Luke Cage. But mm-hmm. there's only going to be so much recognition you can take. Let's look at episode thirteen. Okay, if we go all the way there, we're going to... No, you're not allowed. You've got uh, seven more podcasts to do, Chris. No. Okay, <laughs> let's imagine episode 13 in the far distance, some somewhere over the rainbow. So looking at episode 13, if we can imagine that at the end, Luke has cleaned up Harlem, he's cleaned up uh, Diamondback, he's cleaned up Cottonmouth, he's got rid of all the gangs. Yeah, he cleans it well. He does, especially in that suit. But imagine then, it's very much like Hydra, in that you cut off one head, another shall rise. And mm-hmm. by being the face of Harlem, the hero for hire, you can expect that every time he destroys one gang, another one's going to think it's bigger and better than him. Like, it's kind of the, the, the law of diminishing returns almost, or the uh, there is another law that you know, add more and it's always going to need more heat to f- kind of thing. It's that kind of situation that you get yourself into. It's that idea of, okay, you put on the bat suit, therefore you get the Joker. It, it, yes, it's, it's exactly. the law of escalation. It's, That's it's it. The law that of, kind yes. of thing, and that you know the the cops have a taser, then the criminals have a knife. The cops move to a gun. The criminals carry. A submachine gun, that yes, kind of thing. Exactly. You know, you you bring sort of tank type things on, and they you get a bulletproof man, and they bring a rocket launcher to blow up Connie's. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I could see what you mean by the end of the season. What is what is going to be there? 
uh, going to be facing him down. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I think you made the point earlier on a little bit as well, Chris. There's a, there's a possibility here that by you know another two episodes, and Cottonmouth's going to step out of the way, and there will be a full on gang warfare versus Luke Cage, and they'll be throwing everything at him. The multitude of Judas bullets that are being stored over at at uh, Diamondbacks. A warehouse or wherever he's storing them, they could all be just fired at Luke Cage and that could be the end of them, you know. <laughs> um, so there will be some more escalation. I don't think Cottonmouth's the be all and end all of, of what's going on in, in Harlem. And I also don't think that he's going to get to clean up the entire city of Harlem by the end of the series. There's still going to be some other big bats out there. And you've still got the Latino gang that we were introduced to two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Semicolon. Yeah. <laughs> Colon. Colon. Oh, yes. (laughs) See, another one of my jokes, just zooming by. uh, It's pretty sad, yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get much better than this, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Can we just call him Semicolon? And uh, and coming now. Because he was short. Cottonmouth versus Semicolon. (laughs) That is a pretty short. I like like Semicolon. So, Derek, do you have another point, though? Uh, just a quick one. Uh, again, uh, Raphael Scarf is now under investigation by Internal Affairs. So yes. that whole piece of what happened in the last couple of episodes is not going unnoticed within the NYPD. Uh, quite a big, quite a big moment for uh, for the partner of of Misty Knight. Big time. Um, yeah. I like that it is the captain and uh, and the lieutenant that that track Misty Knight down and tell her uh, her partner's under investigation. So she is defending him as she would this is a partner for many years by the sounds of things they've got a pretty good rapport between the two of them so they look like they've worked together for many many years i love um, i love her turn of phrase here i know he, he might be salty but dirty you know <laughs> really nice little turn of phrase really there. yeah and on our wire watch uh, as our other one of our watches for the last uh, last couple of episodes uh, we also have another w- returning character from the wire in we this certainly do this actually is on to my next point which is uh, short as well it, it's the cameos we have here um from the wire we have sonia Stone, um who played detective Shakima Greggs or Kima. She portrayed one of the detectives on the, the Baltimore police force, mm-hmm. uh, which was really good. Uh, you know, and again, uh, really at that moment as well for, um, a, a black actress, uh, you know, she was also portraying a, a, a lesbian detective, mm-hmm. uh, in a relationship, which, you know, was again, a huge, um, statement within a TV show, um, as well, so Absolutely. really, really good cool um, to, see her back to see her back again in the force. At uh, this time, NYPD instead of BPD. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, and there was another cameo, uh, and he's alive. Damn it! Um, it's a miracle. It was um, Mike Britt, uh, who plays Walter Bankston from Kimmy Schmidt. He mm-hmm. was here as Eddie Axton, the the character with the the MLB ring, mm-hmm. drunk, um, really nice little exchange between him and Luke Cage uh, in his daughter's shop. He's trying to really kind of you know promote him and, and to earn money, and and he's all kind of fairly down on his luck. But uh, it was nice to see him in this different kind of role because yeah. obviously with Kimmy Schmidt being kind of an off kilter comedy, which I have I have to say I really like. Yeah. Um, and he did the theme tune for yeah. it, which was shown for all 26 episodes. Kind of good to see him there. 
Yeah, so two really good cameos here uh, for me, yeah. uh, and a continuing, uh, you know, a, another actor that comes from the Wire, or at least had their origins in the Wire. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Chris, what's your next point? Okay, I'm gonna take you on a journey. I'm gonna uh-huh. do very much like the 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 uh, SAT or the Leaving Cert in Ireland or the GCSEs. I'm gonna do an <laughs> English class here where I'm gonna talk to you about recurring themes and topics in Marvel's Luke Cage. Yeah, I know it's gonna get interesting, but go mm-hmm. with me. This is going to be interesting. So. Since the beginning, we've been talking about the kind of some of the recurring themes and what we think are some of the big topics. So the, obviously the big one is music. Like we can see that both in the score and the, the song choice and the titles in the intersecting kind of like some of the, the, the very violent, violent scenes with the R&B, with the, with uh, the, some of the, the live music that's being performed in Harlem's Paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great choice, but this we know this is probably Chio Coker's kind of showing the golden kind of gem that is the heart of Harlem in terms of music is the core. It, it's ingrained into the city, very yeah. much like people can say like um, Guinness is the core ingrained in the city of Dublin. <laughs> well, maybe not so much, but you kind of see where I'm going with it. There's some yeah. streets it's pretty ingrained in. Yeah. Yeah. And battered burgers as well. Anyway, as, as we've kind of gone into the kind of five episodes in so far, it's kind of more and more we can see that there's especially on the music is especially underlined in this episode. And I think we, we, we touched on this earlier, but, and we touched on why I think this was funny, but it's the theme of it that I find more. Okay. So Cottonmouth Lackey starts talking about, as John said, the book about politics and the rise of hip-hop. Mm-hmm. And the irony behind that is that Cornell has a massive painting of the Biggie there, and he has a deaf ear for this legacy of hip-hop and how he could apply it to the situation. Nice. And this is the bit I'm kind of getting into, that there's a huge contrast and there's a huge theme of legacy as a whole, of building a legacy, controlling a legacy, and a legacy evolving. Absolutely. In that, so Cornell Cottonmouth is not seeing that legacy. He wants to build a legacy, but he's not seeing how hip hop is part of his legacy, how part music is part of his legacy. Mm-hmm. In contrast to Luke, who's constantly reminding himself of that, like he calls out the parts of like when he's talking to uh, the uh, assailant with the gun to the back of his head in about episode two or three, where he starts talking about Atticus and the legacy of black Americans who came out of Harlem and some of the most prominent. Like he starts talking and he's constantly talking about that the the legacy of who he is and who he should be. And then he starts talking about Pops's legacy. And how and especially in this episode, and this is what I loved. He started talking about when he was in the church, how Pop's legacy hangs over like a large shadow over Harlem. He Absolutely. he's touched not just Luke and Luke's journey from convicted felon to husband of Riva to working in the barbershop to being on the run. Like he, the, he's helped Luke throughout his journey and more than that, he's helped Harlem. And you, mm-hmm. we learn that he, how he took Absolutely. people in. I think this is the flipping moment of how Luke's decided that, okay, he's going to build his own legacy or at least a legacy on top of pops. Kind of like that. He decided he wants to be. 
he now knows what type of hero he wants to be. And he starts seeing in this episode where he's wearing this pristine suit, walking around, trying to make up and make Harlem a better place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, it's, that's, it's a really interesting idea. I mean, it even goes to the flashback where you have Pops and Cottonmouth and, and Wilfredo as well. And it's looking at that. Um, in, in terms of their own legacy within that community and how they've gone from being those boys or kids, uh, to, you know, pop being in the barbers in Switzerland, um, Wilfredo effectively dead, uh, and, and leaving his son, uh, the Chico, um, you know, under the, the tutelage, uh, in the hairdressers of, uh, of pop's, uh, barbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I think even, and then Cottonmouth and obviously then what he's currently on to do, but then how, uh, like you say, that, that difference between Luke and Cottonmouth, it's there also between Cottonmouth and, and his cousin Mariah Dillard. I mean, those scenes on the bench where she's saying, I want us to, to have this, this legacy and leave a legacy on Harlem as a politician. And politicians are, are, are like that. They yeah. want to have that legacy there. Or, or just where she says, you, you know, your first love is money. Mine is my name. That's harder to get back after, you know, Luke has gone in and, and, and robbed the bank, you yeah. know? But it's also what Chiro Coca is doing with this show. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, it, there's a legacy here in the same way as what The Wired is, um, you know, that he wants to try and show that legacy on Absolutely. this show within the context of a superhero movie yep. um, as well. So I yeah, I'm totally, totally agree with you, the, uh, Chris, uh, on this. And it's a really... Um, cool theme yeah definitely definitely i think you could replace the word legacy with rep and then it would be exactly on point for this episode oh yes mm. Mm. indeedy doodly but much like rep so luke's currently a man of the people and he has him mm-hmm. on his side but how long would the rep last or how long would the legacy last now that mm-hmm. he's put a massive target on himself and that's the bit i'm really kind of like how long will the rep last and more importantly in as you said is he doing this all just to get a rep? Mm. I like this. So, John, do you want to wrap us up with your last point? I do. It's the face-off. Ooh. The face-off between Cottonmouth and Luke Cage mm. you know, is occurring throughout this episode. Um, it starts on the streets. Uh, I kind of had this in, in the synopsis, but, you know, it starts on the streets where, you know, um, he's taking the money, he, he's pointing the finger at Luke Cage, and Luke Cage retaliates. Then it becomes face-to-face in the club where he's surrounded uh, by the goons of um, of Cottonmouth, Cottonmouth's on the balcony, up above, um, and that's where you see Shades recognizing Carl Lucas from, from Seagate. But, you know, that face-off moves to there. And, and you know, there's some real sort of beat-down of uh, and sort of uh, trash talk that, that that's kind of going on. And, again, I suppose coming back to uh, Shades' as influence here, there's that moment where he says, you can't make this guy make you look stupid. The more you go after him, the more 
his name rings out yeah. like yours used, used to. to. Um, yeah. Like that's so, such a good line. Um, I thought it was amazing and all coming from this face off between Luke Cage and that is ultimately undermining Cottonmouth and it, and it sort of, it crescendos in the church at Pops's memorial where through the eulogy, you have these competing ideas of what Harlem should be. And the one that rings out true, um, is, is Luke Cage's, which is, I believe in the people who make Harlem what it is. It's not that Harlem imposes itself on the people. Absolutely. Which, uh, and I thought that was just really good, you know, and he talks about Pop and um, taking the children in as, as rough diamonds, buffing them up and sending them out all sparkling and stuff. I thought that was really good. And it also just got me thinking, is that what he did with Diamondback? Is that also, are we going to find out that Pop did that with uh, Willis Stryker or, uh, or Diamondback as he's now known? But did he do it at a time before he had his own sort of road to Damascus moment? Uh, and maybe he actually sent him down a, a darker path. But right. S- but nonetheless, still bright and shiny, um, taken from the rough, from the earth, and, and turned into this gem. So I, I just thought that was an interesting thing. It was an interesting analogy that was used, and just because it was diamonds, and we know that Diamondback is in it, I just wondered if there's any connection there. So I'm really looking forward to seeing whether that happens. But I mean, that is, um, I just thought it was really nice throughout this whole episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The battle between the two characters have been have been great so far. They haven't shied away from keeping our two our two major uh, hero and and villain apart throughout the season so far. We've had many scenes together, um, but this episode particularly was really, really strong. I've got it down as the eulogy battle, like the lip sync battle yeah. <laughs> kind of idea. It's like you go first. Yeah. It's like a rap battle, basically. They go up on, uh, go up and do the eulogy and you can see from Cornell Stokes and how he's delivering that speech to the community of Harlem that he believes he's going to win back the people to his side. He believes they're going to turn to, to realize he's just doing it in their best interest. But when you have Luke Cage going up, and showing them what someone in your best interest is there for to provide a central place where your community can get together and share and grow strong together, uh, not to lead them, not to take their money and control them. Uh, he's there to, he's there to share with them and help them just like Pop did. Um, you can see the difference in the crowd that's there. You know, uh, this is the epic rap battle. This is the winner. Luke Cage crowned on stage right there. And Stokes ain't going to be happy about it. Oh, completely, completely. It is the epic rap battle without the battle almost. Like, mm-hmm. I was expecting some Cornell to kind of just midway through Luke's kind of eulogy, just kind of go, Rah! and then just like, <laughs> like it would be that scene where, like, again, Scarface, how dare you say this about me? Uh, uh, like, <laughs> at, least at least they respected no violence in the, uh, in the church. You know, there was that moment I was a bit concerned that Aisha was going to be taking out a gun in the middle of a service for someone who'd been gunned down and shoot somebody in the church. That's totally unheard of. Nobody does that. Whatever about the code of the streets. In, in shooting pop in the first place and breaking that code, nobody takes out a gun in a church and does it. So, so glad that Luke came in and uh, crushed that gun in her handbag. A nice little, <laughs> a nice little touch there and stopped Aisha from, uh, from killing anybody in the church. Yeah, he had a big thing about crushing guns in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just really actually, is. the last couple of episodes, it's just like, nope, I am the gun. <laughs> You've like, got everything to, you've is got to show. 
one of my favorite lines as well. I am the gun. A nice, uh, a nice Luke Cage yeah. line there as well. Well, interestingly, that was one of my notes was the gun crushing Luke. Um, yeah, in the church and also Zip where he, he gets, uh, fired at and he just bends the, the barrel of the gun up. Um, oh, yeah. Really, yeah. He was, he was in a fine gun crushing form in this episode. And the other one is we have, piggybacks going on in the police uh piggybacks on the payroll uh in the new york police department a russian doll of bent cops Mm -hmm. basically um going from sergeant mclean to lieutenant perez and detective Raphael. it was like how many coppers are on the payroll Mm -hmm. i suspect lieutenant perez is probably on the payroll of cologne I don't know. Um, I think there might be a few, um, sort of mixed allegiances here, certainly given that we see Raphael turning down, um, a text or, or not responding to a text, uh, of, of Cottonmouths when yeah. he's, when he's getting the, uh, shipment of guns to hand back to Cologne. Uh, it so- is interesting how quickly people are on the payroll are no longer on the payroll when you run out of money and how quickly they may turn on you uh, when they have your goods for sale. You know, that looks what looks like what's happening with Scarf here. He's seen, he knows exactly how much money has been lost by Cottonmouth. He knows exactly <laughs> where, um, where he, where he stands in terms of finances. So perhaps he's just wondering whether he's going to bring those guns over to Dime back directly and just cut, got, cut Cottonmouth out completely from the transaction, you know? Um, cause he is ignoring that text message from him that he's been, that he's sending during the funeral. Uh, which again, another thing that's layering on the anger in uh, Absolutely. Chris, do you have a, a, another point? I don't have a point. I have a great note though. Uh, did anyone else notice the movie reference in this episode? Which, which one? Well, there's obviously, should I, I'll tell you and then you can tell me if you actually notice it. Yeah. I'll explain yeah. just, just so we can all look important and like we know stuff. I- there was a really great full-on kind of garbage can beatdown right. uh, that was dished out here. And as soon as I saw that, I just thought of Godfather, where, like, you know, Sonny Corleone kind of is beating the hell out of the white beating Carlo in The Godfather 1. Yes. Whereas, and this literally, I was almost like, I think scene for scene, where they jump out of the car, throw him over the banister into the trash cans, and then mm-hmm. just wail on him. Which... They basically did that, wailed on the guy, and then ran away. I yes. think they took some money, and that was about it. I'm like... So I said, like, go ask Luke Cage. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like... Uh, I, I, it, it wasn't the... It was kind of like a drive-by beating. Gotta go, <laughs> Pretty much. Bye! Ask Luke Cage! Like, <laughs> it's, you kind of go, weirdest fight ever. Can you imagine yes. you were that guy just going, huh? They, they said something about... A, a puke in a cage and a mage? I don't know. I think he's talking magic. Uh, just, anyway, that was, I just, I got completely thought about Cordione and I just loved it. Um, nice little film anyone, touch If there. anyone, now, again, I could be completely, as with any of my references and my, there are, a lot of these are in my head, but I bet you at some point someone, Chio will probably say one of his inspirations was old school mafia films, mm-hmm. and I will jump up and down and go, "Touch you, sir! Touch you, sir!" <laughs> well, it is—it's a great reference and a great and a great movie. I have to uh, have to check that out again. I haven't watched that in a little while, so uh, yeah, good catch there. Absolutely, uh, we I'm, believe you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's all uh, that matters. 
I've just got one note real quick because uh, I liked it. It was one of my one of the funny moments, I suppose, in the episode. <laughs> as one of the ladies of Harlem walks up to Luke Cage to tell him who shot uh, the guy who is sitting on the car being uh, interviewed by police. Yeah, uh, and she goes to him. It was Aisha who shot him, and Luke says, "Where did she get the gun?" And she goes, "I plead the eighth. loved that little moment thought it was really funny and also i had to look up what is the eighth amendment and i think it's really good for luke cage because the eighth amendment is the law in the u.s that says you can have no excessive bail no excessive fines and no cruel or unusual punishment what's happened to luke cage except he's been put in prison didn't get bail had experimentation done on him in prison so uh, he has definitely had cruel and unusual punishment while in prison uh thought it was a nice little touch that they particularly chose that completely i think yeah exactly and it was a lovely funny moment and again doing the one thing that the writers have done so well in this which is taking very hard drama realistic drama and then actually throwing the levity in there where it deserves to be mm-hmm. exactly exactly yeah so a points and notes done guys time to get your rep Okay, I'm going John. to the gym. Fine. <laughs> John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do defend this episode of Luke Cage. It will come as no surprise. I'm giving this a four Judas bullets out of five. Um, I, this is just really strong, great stuff for me. Um, you know, I just love it's the, the big, um, kind of initial face-off, I presume. Um, I'm sure there's more to come, but this is the big face-off, and it's been building between Cottonmouth and Luke Cage. Um, we have the reintroduction of Claire Temple here in such a, a cool, cool way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you know, we have Pop's memorial, but for me as well, this episode was so much about uh, Shades and his relationship with Cottonmouth as well as Luke Cage's relationship with Cottonmouth. And I think all this um under the the umbrella of um you know fighting for the soul of Harlem was just a really good um like episode. And I as I said, I love the I just love the frostiness of Misty Knight towards Luke Cage, despite everything. Um, and despite that we're all seeing as the audience and that, that she's not in on and she's a cop and she's suspicious and she's trying to follow the evidence that that relationship there is, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm just enjoying all these different relationships together. Um, and, and it was a great, great uh, episode. And of course, we see a Judas bullet at work as well. Absolutely. Which means blood and liver and kidneys going everywhere. <laughs> but Christopher, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do. I do defend this episode. I don't want to score it because I've been starting to score and I think it takes away some of it from my own head about how it's yes or a no or to watch or not watch. Mm-hmm. This for me now is the the culmination of four episodes and yes somewhat of a slow burn in some areas in terms of they wanted to lay down f- the framework of a lot of kind of relationships of a lot of the story a lot of the backgrounds and they are doing it gradually so they're giving you these they're building up the foundation while at the same time layering in a new story or thread into it each time so as we get to the end of how are they going to kill an indestructible man 
with a Judas bullet, it seems, they introduced the Claire thread. Or at the end of the Pops legacy discussion, when that comes to a close, we're now getting Luke is building his own legacy. Uh, as the legacy of Cottonmouth comes to an end, we get the legacy of Diamond Mike or Shades taking over. Um, so for me, this was this was a great culmination. I think we're probably one episode away. Episode six will be where it all kind of comes through. It kind of as a whole, it comes to the the justification of everything that we need. That the two controlling forces come to a head. Mm-hmm. It looks like we can get that as far as that's probably as far as they could do it. Now they could string it out to episode eight or nine or who knows. I think it's kind of six is a fair bit. We're finishing our act one. We're going into act two kind of job. I still don't like scarf. I don't like that story. It's very tried, done, and dusted. But it acts as a plot point, and there's what can you do for it. But it acts as an evolution of how Misty Knight will become potentially an ally for the defenders and leave the or the heroes of hire and leave the actual the police force. And I know you need these things, but again, I still just don't like that storyline. Right. Shoot me. I don't know. Um, no, we won't shoot you. Okay. Jeez. Not that bad, Chris. <laughs> oh, thank you. He won't be back next episode listening. I'm sorry. This <laughs> is my last will and testament. That's dark. That is super dark. <laughs> and not a very good one. You didn't leave anything to anybody. No, I know. Anyway, I just, I just talked about the cage. And then I just, the, the last bit of my kind of wrap up and why I defended is more and more. I'm starting to like the style and we discussed the very first episode for me, which was how gritty and realistic this, this universe that this Harlem they are setting up. It mm-hmm. is a true to, this is Harlem right now for us day in, day out, day out. And they've transplanted that with a, a good degree of understanding of, okay, it still has to be a superhero show. So there's a guy with lifting boulders over his head and bouncing bullets off himself, mm-hmm. but it's, facing today's issues and I still love that and like any war-torn country if you're in the middle of the war the human nature is when there is despair you will crack jokes you will bring levity to the situation you this is the truth so Chio Croker and the rest of the writers behind this are saying yes this is a dark grim this is gang war this is what it's like but hey we're gonna make a joke about the the eighth amendment because that's yeah. what someone silly who doesn't know what the amendment is will say. And yeah. it makes everyone laugh. And that's, I think, yes, why I defend it. They bring all these great points together. Yet, are they doing everything right? Some cases, yes. Some cases, no. Some cases, yeah, just with a bit more work. But overall, first this episode as a whole, it was great. First five episodes, still great. Haven't yet seen. It's a slow burn on some things, but overall, yes. Derek, do you defend this episode and would you give it its rep i would definitely give this this its rep it's it's done it's worked hard uh this episode to really make sure that you know exactly where all the players are here to cut down cottonmouth to his lowest level so far um he's lost he has lost everything his money's gone his reputation's now gone the, the other thing that's the most important to him so harlem's gone because of the speech that that luke made that sort of feels like he's lost he's lost harlem so the only thing he has left is the club 
and he's already being recommended in this episode that it's going to be uh, it, it should be torn away from him yeah. so that he can get back to uh, back to working his way back up from the bottom again. Um, I love what they've done in this episode. I think it's really really good. Uh, not going to say too much more. I think we've talked about it a lot, but yeah, I'd highly defend this episode definitely. So lastly, as usual, we've got a little bit of feedback in uh, to talk about before we close out the episode. First up, Jim Jim Carrey says about this episode: If I was Luke Cage, I'd probably say, "Sweet Christmas, man, you don't respect pop." Just last week, you sat in his barber chair and then walked away without paying, making your other guy take the money out and eventually pay him. Uh, it's a really good point. Actually, Jim. yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, guy, this guy constantly says how much money he has. He constantly says how much he controls Harlem and how great a guy he is, yet he wouldn't even pay for a haircut in Pop's barbershop, uh, which is which is quite a good point. Good, good catch there, Jim. Absolutely. Great catch. Joel Sharpton also commented. He said, Mike Coulter has nailed it the whole series but he particularly Sean in this episode. God, this is such a good show. Um, I totally agree with him. I still think my favorite moment for my culture so far has been at the end of season, uh, end of episode two, where he does that speech outside of Christmas attics, uh, where he's speaking about the history of, uh, of black culture in the area of Harlem. I think that scene just had so much power to it. And then when he takes the gun and shoots, and shoots himself in the stomach to, to show that he is bulletproof and bullets don't scare him. Um, a great powerful scene for my culture but this scene in front of all of the residents of Harlem is a fantastic scene the eulogy scene I thought, thought it was absolutely brilliant really really good my culture scene completely agree I say this with a grain of despair but Charlie Cox Kristen Ritter Mike Coulter these guys are fantastic leads and I know much like um, our beautiful Agent Carter they will go on if ever to do greater things I actually just watched Hayley Atwell in Conviction in her latest and it was amazing and I it, right. it, it's a fantastic show and it shows that these guys they can in theory sometimes get pigeonholed as these superheroes uh, but then you look at Stephen Amell who's now gone on to do films um, and Robbie Amell who's gone on to do other films maybe not some of them not be great but they were still films Yes, yeah, Teenage I've, Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, two I think, yes. was Stephen Amell's, wasn't it? It was, but he's coming on to do more. He, him and Robbie <laughs> Amell are doing other ones. Hey, yeah. they're, they're, they're better than my movies. So. It's true. And, and Charlie Cox came from Boardwalk Empire as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah. like, I mean, even like looking back as well as forwards, um, yeah, superb casting. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Let's hope Finn Jones can, uh, can complete the quintuplet. Yes. But I also do hope that, much like Jessica Jones won one of the Emmys for opening credits, I think that these guys now should be put up for uh, the the best leading man, best leading woman, uh, actor, actress, whichever categories they have, because these we've gone past a point in time where these actors are just doing a superhero show. Mm-hmm. These are you're doing a dramatic film, TV show connected universe where you are much like Clark Gregg in um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. he's gone on to do things and he was doing stuff before but these guys are such leading presences that they deserve at least to be considered I think up against Mm -hmm. some of these like Boardwalk Empire or Game of Thrones etc etc absolutely Night of the Flowers yes Finn Jones fantastic coming soon on March 17th yeah Anyway, thanks for that comment, Joel. It was really good to hear from you. And thanks, Jim. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Joel, uh, for, for the feedback. That's really, really 
Good stuff. Great catches. If you want to send in your feedback, you can go to our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast or directly to feedback at Defenders TV podcast. If you want to get yourselves on the podcast, you can also leave an audio feedback. 90 seconds, just go to our website uh, and on the right hand side, just leave your uh, voicemail there. Just go to DefendersTVPodcast.com and of course as always we're on Twitter at DefendersCast next week we'll obviously we'll be back for episode 6 yep we'll be back on Friday the 21st of October with episode 6 of Luke Cage Suckers Need Bodyguards alright guys well on that note yeah I think that's a wrap sorry I mean a rap oh I was going to say Suckers getting out of here (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll speak with you next time. Bye. And Chris, the next suit of mine that gets damaged, I'm charging you. Ah, boom. Bye. It's a miracle. (laughs) Breakable. Bye. Thanks for listening to Defenders TV Podcast, a TV podcast industries production. Our theme tunes provided by the wonderful Mississippi McDonald and the Cottonmouth Kings. If you want to help out the podcast and you've enjoyed listening to us, there's some really easy ways to do it. If you can share our episodes through your social media channels like Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, or Google+, that gets some extra listeners into us. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes or a rating, just leave a five-star rating, click the button, or go to iTunes through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. We'll take you straight to our page and leave us a review or a rating there. That always helps out independent podcasts. And also, as always, we love to hear your feedback about the show's interaction with our audience is what we really, really love. So you can send us feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.